Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Max Finance Podcast. Today we'll be chatting about paying off your debt good debt versus bad debt and understanding the differences um, and potentially another way of thinking about it. Uh, is there such a thing as a good versus bad? Uh, and just our thoughts around that. Um, starting off, when you hear that phrasing, Lauren, what, what initially kind of comes to mind when you think about good versus bad debt or debt in general? Yeah, I think... It's really just a spectrum to me. I think uh, debt is just a way of paying for something. And like anything, I guess it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really matter where that money comes from. You can make a purchase that is kind of aligned with your goals and helps you get closer to them, or you can make it, you can, you can use money to, to just to, to buy something else or to do something else. So um, I guess when people say good debt and bad debt, they probably mean that, uh, you know, a good debt being taking out a loan to potentially for education, for instance, or something like that. But I, I don't think it's, to me, it's not binary, right? You know, taking out a, a really big loan for a, a private school to get a liberal arts degree, to me, that's not a great idea. So I wouldn't call that necessarily good debt. Um, mm -hmm. So I think this is kind of the purpose, you think, kind of think about the purpose of what you're using that money for, as well as the interest rate and in the, in the terms of that um, loan. Very interesting. Okay, so I'm very curious how maybe throwing a couple of examples out and seeing how that that framework that you just laid out uh, fits in, in in just more typical kind of real everyday uh, actions. So sure. let's say uh, somebody has a goal of sending their child to private school. They do not have the money now, and uh, the payment is is due and maybe it's a lump sum let's call it i don't know five thousand dollars for either six months or a year or something like that um and they choose to take out uh, or use a credit card and maybe the thought process is they would pay that over time maybe they don't have that five thousand dollars or have the ability to pay that off in one month so let's say the interest then is charged and typically i see interest rates on credit cards it could you know there could be introductory deals where it's like zero percent but most often it's anywhere in the range of 15 to 25 plus percent sure so how does your framework of that sort of spectrum where it's a financial goal, sending a kid to, to a private school, but they don't necessarily yeah. have the money. Yeah, that's a good question. I think most people would think would say, "Oh, credit card to pay for school? That's a crazy, terrible idea." With you know, interest rates on credit cards usually being fifteen, twenty, twenty-five percent. Um, you know, but also if you think about the actual amount that you're borrowing, well, it compounds very quickly, so it's hard to say. But I would say it's. The interest rate really just affects the total amount that you'll pay over time. So, a, a small uh, loan amount with a high interest rate could equal something with a, a large loan amount and a low interest rate, right? Like $5,000 at 15% over whatever, four years is probably, it goes really fast, but you, know, you, you can imagine that. Um, it, you, you can end up in the same kind of uh, money that you pay over time. And so, to me, that's what you probably should be looking at i mean 
certainly if, if, if you're considering a really, really high interest rate loan, you should look elsewhere first. But um, I would say if, if there is no other option, then I think you just need to kind of think about the absolute dollars uh, that, that um, it's going to cost. And obviously there, there are, there maybe there are some other considerations too, in terms of like, um, what's the word, uh, forgivability in the, in the, in the debt, right. Or things like that, or, um, kind of programs, like recourse, are, yeah, recourse programs, right. Student debt. I think, you know, there's talking, uh, well, there's been kind of potential legislation to, to eliminate some of student debt for each student. No, that they're not talking about credit card debt. So mm -hmm. like credit card debt that you used to pay for college wouldn't, wouldn't qualify. Um, so anyway, but I think, you know, $5,000 is, is actually a, a small amount of money to pay for a year of college. Right. So, but, uh, you know, 15% is high. So it just depends on how long you expect to actually carry that, that loan for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apologies. My example was around, um, say you've got a kid that's in like elementary school or something mm -hmm. and you're paying, you know, $5,000 a year for something some sort of private school there. But, um, so, so the way, let me just make sure I'm understanding correctly. The way you're viewing it is, Hey, that's an investment. Is that first off? Is that it? Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's how it should be viewed as it's, it's what are you getting with the money and what is the value that you're getting by taking out the loan and, and paying an interest, right? You're, you're paying something you're paying, you're, you're paying the interest, um, on top of whatever actually you're buying. And so, um, just trying to figure out, so you need to do both of those things. Like for that $5,000, what are you getting for your money? And then for that interest that you're paying on that $5,000, what are you getting for your money? Um, and so I think you need to evaluate, you should have, so, someone should think about that and like any other purchase as if they had $5,000, you know, in their bank account. Got it. And so it's, it's viewed as an investment. Um, but we, could we agree that, uh, if you were to use that $5,000 and go and buy, I don't know, buy something, uh, spend it on Amazon, let's say, and maybe it's just purely for, uh, fun and entertainment purposes. And there was no real investment. Do you still view that as an investment or would you, would you view that differently? If you were to take out the loan and just spend it on stuff yeah, on Amazon, use, yeah, staying on on the credit card uh, track, we we take out yeah. five, that we pay five thousand dollars for the money we do not have, spend it on Amazon. Yeah, I'd say that's probably not a good investment. Um, I think you know something that's interesting is people take out loans all loans all the time for for cars, right? Um, and I think the f the fact that people do take out a loan for it. And they're just focused on like the monthly payment amount, for instance, they're uh, often buying a lot more expensive of a car than they would not only be able to afford otherwise, but actually would would feel comfortable affording otherwise, right? You know, maybe a thirty, forty thousand dollar car might have a monthly payment of I don't know five five hundred dollars a month, and that's kind of what the focus what they focus on rather than thinking about what is the actual amount over that six year loan or something like that. So the debt taking out the debt can often kind of stretch people into situations where they actually pay a lot, lot more than, than they're maybe really comfortable with because they're so focused on like, what is it, what is the short-term uh, impact to my cash flow, for instance? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think what you're alluding to is uh, the further out that you stretch that payment, the lower it, it seems and the more you can sort of justify and it fits into the cash flow. Yep. Uh, but that may not necessarily be a, a wise investment. Um, and so, how, yeah, I guess pivoting to so 
we've, we've shared two examples of pursuing a, a good, well, I mean, quote unquote, a good financial goal of sending your child to private school uh, and then versus just buying stuff on Amazon. Uh, those are, I think, are either end of the spectrum and you use that credit card to pay for that. That could be uh, two, two, two different, uh, one investment and one not. Um, on the on the car side of things, uh, the, it, certainly if you need a car uh, for the family or yourself to get to work, that's obviously an investment that you need to make in order sure. to uh, yeah to get to get income, right? And Absolutely. so, how do you define what what? How do you start to see the line there between something that you need and something that you want? Oh, that's that's a tough question. I don't know. We could probably spend many episodes talking about yeah, that one. That might be How going you... a little far afield from our actual uh, topic here, but uh, presumably there is a line, right? Or maybe it's a spectrum where you're moving from gradient. Yeah, I think um, I think it's easy for people to convince themselves they need something to do something, right? I, I you know, I think um, there's very few things that people really actually need in terms of what they spend their money on, probably. Um, but yeah, I certainly think, you know, if, um, you, if it's going to help with your employment for certainly, right. If it allows you to, to, uh, take a job that you couldn't otherwise take. So you need a car to get there or, or yeah, or you have a, uh, you have a, a, a family and like your child needs to get to school and there's no alternative, there's no public transportation. So that's, you know, um, or, you know, certainly maybe you just want to have a car because you want to, you know, travel and, and, visit your family and friends or go on trips and stuff like that. And I think that's totally fine. I think you just, just consider the, the cost of it. And um, I think consider like the, the total cost of it, not just the, the monthly payment of it, I think is really important. Well, and, and maybe to make this a little bit more binary, uh, Dave Ramsey is famous for saying, sell your car and buy a beater and just mm. buy something that can get you from point A to point B and forgetting the status symbol and the comfort, the luxury of all of that, uh, the features that uh, in some cases today, in today's uh, standards, uh, safety wise as well. Um, you know, so do you do you subscribe to, to that logic? I don't know. I don't know. We've always driven pretty modest cars, usually by kind of secondhand cars that are at least three or four years old. I am kind of, like I said, we, I did mention to you that I kind of had my eyes on the, the newer model of our, our my car, my Mazda CX-5, but never purchased a new car. The concept, the idea of buying, spending thirty forty thousand dollars $40,000 on a car seems kind of strange to me. But I think another way to let I me, mean, again, this is maybe specific to cars or any, and it's a big purchase. It's also not just the, it's not, it's actually not the total amount that you spend. That is really the true cost. It's really like the depreciation that you're really paying for, you know? So something that might have a, a quite a high initial price is not necessarily going to cost you, you know, $40,000 car is not going to actually cost you $40,000 in the long run. Um, because I mean, certainly there's maintenance and all that stuff, but I'm just talking about the cost of the vehicle. Cause when you sell that car, the residual value on a forty thousand dollar car is often a lot more than the residual value on a five thousand dollar car. So anyway, mm -hmm. that's kind of making the case for buying an expensive car, but <laughs> or, which I don't, I'm not trying to do. And certainly, new cars depreciate much more quickly. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we drive a five year old car, a mm -hmm. 2016 Mazda CX five, and we bought it three years ago. Um, and uh, we we first bought a car. 
um, actually because my, my wife got a job um, in a different city about 20 miles away um, and public transportation wasn't really an option to get there. And mm-hmm. so the first car we bought was literally because she started the job and the car we bought, we weren't very happy with. It was just didn't meet our kind of, well, it, it doesn't matter our needs. Like it got us from point A to point B. It was safe, but uh, there was just a lot of things we didn't like about it. And, you know, we kind of purchased it quickly and didn't spend a lot of time researching it. So it was the first was like a Honda Civic and it was fine, but it was just very bland and uh, not fun to drive. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we switched to the Mazda CX-5 after a few years. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, it's yeah, nice that's a- having not a, not a brand new car. You don't worry about little tiny dings and scratches or where you park it or and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. the cost of insurance is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, so yeah, I think it just now, really depends. I, I guess just to follow that example through, did you go out? Did do you have a loan on that, or did you have a loan on that vehicle when you first bought it? Good question. Um, the the first car, yeah, and both. Uh, let's see the the Civic the the Honda Civic we bought. I took out a loan because the interest rate was really low. I think I got an interest rate of about two percent, two and a half percent. So. Um, I think, yeah, and I think that's why it's important to qualify good versus bad is not 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 just what you use it for. It's what is the rate that you're getting for it and what is the kind of the opportunity cost of actually paying cash for something. And to me, you can get a loan with, you know, kind of like a, a fixed rate loan, not an adjustable rate, but a fixed rate loan for two, two and a half percent. I will do that kind of all day and actually do do that right now i've um some some money borrowed from like a, a margin account and a personal loan at that rate um so i don't have an auto loan but i have money borrowed from other sources at at that rate and um i i do that because i think i would rather borrow borrow money to pay for things than spend money that i have just because that interest rate is so low compared to what i expect to be able to earn over the long term in during in my investments Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and really the the thought process, like you said, is I expect to I have the dollars. I expect to earn more than that that financing cost in over the long term in right. the market. And so at the time of this recording, interest rates are very low. Uh, certainly, threats of interest rates uh, on the rise, especially with uh, inflation. Yeah. But you know, you could definitely, like you're saying, find a, a, a auto loan at like you said, two, two and a half, uh, sub 3%. And that's typically where I am I'm definitely in agreement there. It's take that any day of the week, especially if you've already got dollars that are earning more than that. In the case where you don't have those dollars earning more than that, do, would you still have the, the same thought process? Um, maybe, I guess it depends. Like two and a half percent, that's like, less than inflation, right? So actually, even if you're not investing the money, you're just keeping it in a bank account, probably still better off borrowing that money than, than, um, yeah, I think, I think you're still better off borrowing the money, but, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, but two and a half percent is exceptionally low and that's not the, that's not what all auto loans are, um, you know, depending on your, your credit kind of history as well as I think n- new loans typically, I think have kind of lower interest rates than, than used to sometimes, but I think the big thing is again, like, um, 
you know, writing a check for $20,000 in there, you know, or cashier's check, that's pretty hard for people to do, right? I think it's like, you feel that a lot more than you do just writing the first monthly payment of $500 and signing something that says you owe $20,000 at, at 3% interest rate. So I think that's the trap that I think most people fall into is uh, maybe they're from, maybe the interest rate is really low and it is, it is a good idea for them to, um, to take out the loan rather than pay it in cash. But, uh, it causes them or to, to take out, uh, to buy a more expensive vehicle than they otherwise would if they paid cash. So then it kind of maybe not washes out or maybe puts you in a slightly worse position at the, at the end. Mm-hmm. And how do you, I guess okay, we're still on kind of cars here, but how do you, how would, be, what would be a good way of figuring out, are you okay writing a check for this, this, this vehicle versus you're, you're so focused on the payment? Because as we talked about, you can end, the financing companies and, and, and dealers can engineer a world where the, the monthly payment is very low, right. but you're paying a lot, financing's high. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you go about thinking about, you know, how would you, what, what sort of mental exercise would you go through? Like, am I equipped to just write a check right now for this car? If you have the money. Yeah. I mean, I think the question is, is, or I guess even if you did, can you buy it and pay for it and continue to, um, I would, I would say, um, pay your, kind of living expenses month to month, right? Can you pay rent next month? Can you buy things you need to buy? Um, I think things like, you know, investments and and savings, I think you don't necessarily need to be able to meet all of those goals and be able to make this purchase necessarily. But again, you know, you're you're making a conscious decision to invest less um, in some ways, but to buy this car and that, you know, again, this car could be an investment. You can, you can think of it as an investment if it helps you, uh, earn money or get somewhere or do something you can't do otherwise. Um, but I think for most people, it's not realistic to just be able to write a $20,000 check at any time. Like most people are going to have to save for several months to do that. And that's hard. And that's why I think, um, having to save up money to buy a car is going to mean you people are going to buy a much more reasonably priced car. Um, and so I, I'm t- honestly, I'm always, I don't know, I guess I'm shocked because I feel like the average price of a car in the U S that people buy, it's like $35,000 or something. Right. Or I don't know, at least $30,000. Yeah. It's and up there. then, you know, median income or household income is like what twice that $60,000 or something like that. Um, after taxes, it's obviously less. So it's like paying more than half of your yearly salary on a car. Again, though, it's, it's, you're not, um, if you're, if you're financing it, your, your, your monthly cash flow is not as impacted, but, um, yeah, it seems like a lot to me. I've never mm-hmm. spent that much on a car. Um, but, uh, you know, some people really enjoy cars. Some people, yep. you know, enjoy the, 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 the tr- driving and the experience or, you know, if you spend a lot of time, it depends too, right? If you spend a lot of time in your car, you commute really far, which I don't recommend and I wouldn't advise. I can understand. I mean, sure, you, you get more value at, you know, if you're spending three hours in a car every day, having a nicer car, you get more value out of a car that you just use on weekends or you just use a couple times a month, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're just using a car a couple times a month, you should probably get the beater that just gets you from A to B um, just because, you know, you can reduce the cost of it and maintenance and everything else that goes with it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, like you said, it totally depends on, on the area that you're living and, and kind of who you surround yourself with, because uh, there's definitely pressures uh, to purchase something that uh, you might be a little bit uh, to impress others. And, um, you know, again, being in, a, in a, like, for example, uh, in Arizona, which is uh, where I'm at, at the time of this recording, uh, it's a you need a car to get around. Um, but not only that, it's it's usually a, a a status symbol as well and so you know the nicer car you have more expensive and uh it just can be an easy trap to fall into especially when you just start out on your financial journey especially how easy it is to obtain a uh uh, an auto loan and the financing qualifies for the financing so um yeah so i i we we're focusing on the auto loan because i think that there's a lot of nuance around there and it helps shed light on like the, the, the balance between good versus versus bad at least in my view um mm-hmm. I, I like your framework in terms of, of it being an investment and it's um uh, you know just just traditionally speaking when we think about bad debt it's typically credit card debt it's typically um it could be the auto loan but we have seen in, in this past discussion where it can be uh, also part good uh personal loan uh could be uh bad consumer bad debt, or well maybe not consumer debt but irs debt not paying your taxes getting behind there, medical debt um just unfortunately maybe not having health insurance or not having enough health insurance and just getting um you know having a bad event there and and just it, it's I have seen a lot of clients where it can be very easy to fall into um, the trap of overloading and overburdening yourself with debt. Um, and on the good side, typically speaking, uh, and could be worth the debate, uh, student loan, uh, mortgage, mm-hmm. um, perhaps a home equity line of credit, depending on what you're using that home equity line of credit to purchase. Um like you were talking about earlier, the securities back let loan uh, or margin account, pledged asset loan, depending on where you go, they call it different things, but the premise is very similar where they, you take a loan against your, your investment portfolio for a, a right. variable rate. Um, so I think that's kind of could be in the uh, good or bad, depending on what you're, what you're trying to purchase with that. Um, but, but if, if people have any one of these or maybe a number of these different, buckets of 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 debt and and we could we could chat about this in a future episode about how you might want to approach this paying those down um but just in terms of like the framework what i'm trying to communicate is like the framework of what people could use to categorize okay hey this might be part of the bad so most people just think that debt is debt and so, mm-hmm. like trying to carve it out, I think could be a helpful exercise on the road to potentially paying down, or just being more mindful about that side of the balance sheet. If that makes sense. Um, are you talking about like loans that you already have, like categorizing loans, the different types of loans that you already have? Yeah, let's say that somebody that doesn't necessarily isn't as up to speed on personal finance and interest rates and right. they're just going about their daily life and, and they've got uh, a, a number of different items of debt. Maybe they've got some credit card debt they don't necessarily pay off every month. Uh, they just, you know, some months, especially around the holidays, maybe they're spending a little bit more, maybe when there's a trip, not maybe planning ahead on that. Um, they have an auto loan, maybe they have some student loans yeah. uh, and maybe they either a mortgage or they're gearing up for a mortgage uh, or purchasing a home. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to impart is 
going through the framework and, and saying, okay, maybe if I clean up this part of the area and I've, you know, I'm okay, not cleaning up that part of, you know, the, my debt on that part of the debt, the balance sheet, mm-hmm. how important is it to go through and understand, or at least have the basics around which, which items might be worth paying off sooner than, than others. I think that's really important. If you have multiple loans, I think you should take the time to, to, to come up with a plan or a strategy of which, which one should you prioritize? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the, the kind of discussion we had earlier around, um, what is good and bad and what you intend to use it for. I think that's helpful in when you are determining whether you should take a loan or how much you should take. But once you've already taken the loan, it doesn't really matter what you spent the money on, right? Like, um, I mean, certainly like a mortgage, for instance, you could decide to sell the house and pay off the loan. Like you, whereas, you know, if you took out a loan for education, you've already spent the money. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter if it was a good idea or bad idea. I don't think that you should, that that should influence what you do going forward in terms of how you pay it off or when you pay it off. Right. I think, um, you really should just, you should understand, I think, what is the interest rate of, of each of these loans? What are the terms? Um, and you know, what are the potential kind of, uh, programs or, or, uh, you know, things that might make it easier to pay things off or might be forgiven in the future. Um, and then also potentially what is, uh, what, if things are really bad, like what can be forgiven and during bankruptcy and not, I mean, that's obviously if, if things are kind of untenable. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important that people look closely and understand the terms of each loan and make a plan to kind of choose which one to pay off first. Yeah. And, and, and I would, I guess I would frame it another way or push back a little bit on, on, because somebody could go into again going back to our classic auto auto loan that's really easy mm-hmm. to get um mm-hmm. you go in there and you just get the financing through them and yeah. that financing could be much higher than what the competitive or prevailing rates are if you were to go look online at a place like nerd wallet that is able to kind of filter through and show you what the uh, folks are, are charging or you know what you could get sure. um and so yeah, there's certainly, I mean, the whole world of, of refinancing could, could definitely be uh, uh, a path forward if the debt has already been accrued. But if assuming you've done your homework and you know that that's the best rate uh, at the time, and then, you know, over time, rates will move up and down. Uh, and so, you know, debt that you've accrued, particularly around maybe student loan debt, there could be reasons why you would want to keep it as a federal loan rather than a private loan. Uh, but your private loans will likely at this moment in time be a lower interest rate. Um, but if there is a sort of blanket forgiveness uh, at some point or, or forbearance that we have seen occur with, due to COVID, uh, those who have private student loan debt have not benefited from that, uh, or, mm. or maybe some of their one-off lenders have allowed right. that capability. But uh, I think it's few and far between. So um, not to mention, you know, moving in the public loan forgiveness route and, and, uh, which, which is a whole other topic, but, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I guess, um, th- this also stems, th- this also really goes hand in hand with living below your means, which, uh, 
shameless plug we have done an episode on that uh episode three uh so make sure you go back and look at that or listen to that um talking about uh how to live below your means and i think that um really is is so critical as we talk about the debt piece and understanding uh and doing some just basic planning to see if i go through with this purchase and I incur this debt, you know, what is that? How does that leave me from a cash flow standpoint after? And uh, more importantly, how much money would I have left over to go towards other goals that I may have as well? So, um, yeah. Okay. So let's maybe pivot towards uh, how would one track? Uh, so you may have gone through and, and maybe categorized it a little bit, but um, on the road to understanding your the balance sheet a little bit more, the net worth. How how would folks typically track their uh, their debt? Um, yeah, I think uh, there's like probably a few different ways. I mean, we talked about them in previous episodes. More, more probably more on the lines of kind of tracking your net worth, and I think it's really the same thing, right? Because uh, your net worth is your kind of all your assets, so your um, all your investments, your bank accounts, your property minus your your liabilities which are things that you owe which are debt so um i think the things that we talked about in that episode are you know people you can kind of track it kind of in a spreadsheet yourself and update balances manually as you get statements um or you could use some services like mint or personal capital where you can kind of connect the account um I don't know how, I mean, I think a lot of loans, certainly like things like credit card loans, those are very often easy to find on things like personal capital and mint, um, and probably some most student loans as well. But being able to track it, I think is great because um, you get to see the impact of, of your payments um, kind of as, as work more quickly. And I think having that feedback cycle is, is, is really motivating, right? Seeing your debt balance go down or your net worth going up, um, you know, and and or you you can usually in these tools you can you can not just you don't just see your net worth but you can see your assets and liabilities so looking at your liabilities and seeing that number go down month after month i think it's uh very encouraging and so i recommend people to to do that um and some of them might even have abilities to kind of give you reminders to make a payment or something like that um not not familiar too much but uh there's a couple good options there um that i can think of um are there any others that you've um, known? Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is sort of ancillary, but I think uh, Credit Karma does a good job overall of, of uh, just telling you, okay, hey, it looks like you paid off uh, this credit card or you've, you're on track to, uh, you know, your, your, your FICO score has moved up because you have paid off X amount of debt. And, and I, I think they do a, an interesting uh, job of, of coaching folks and, and trying to get folks to uh, you know, reward themselves with the progress they're making on paying down the debt. And like over the last year, I, I think I, you know, I gotten an email at one point over the last year you paid off or, or you're down to blah, blah, blah percent. Uh, and so that, that's, that's great to, to see over time and, and okay, we're, we're headed towards, uh, you know, paying these, these different items off. Um, like you said, personal capital, I think does a good job too. There's, there's all sorts of, of, of apps out there that, that do, um, uh, do, does does you need a budget? Do something like that as well. Do they do some net worth tracking? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. So I use you need a budget, um, and it definitely it connects credit cards. Um, I imagine student loans can show up too. Um, so yeah, I, I think it probably would. So anything that um, 
any kind of an account that you can link um things they use plaid which connects with most things so yeah that would work um there's yeah there like you said there are specific things as well like specific tools that not only help you track but may provide guidance of like which one to pay off or some of them even um you know might offer you a kind of like a way to refinance it right where you connect all of them and they'll pay they'll pay off your balances but then you know it kind of issue you alone at maybe a, hopefully a lower rate or um in some ways maybe it's um maybe just consolidating it kind of simplifies it. if you have three different credit card loans having just a single loan might make it simpler for people to have to worry about making three payments each month or something like that um, i think tally is one of them i have no personal experience with them but i know that uh i've seen their website before and they have like a mobile app that allows you to connect, connect accounts and uh do that so a lot of great options out there and i think if you if you have multiple multiple loans and you're not sure which one you pay off i do think that you know the difference between paying off kind of i think the difference between the optimal strategy and the, and the suboptimal strategy can be several thousands of dollars over the several years you know so i do think it is worth um potentially you know reaching out to to an expert to a financial planner or someone that um can really tell you the in and out of all of those because it's, it's complicated i think and like especially if you start talking about you know relief programs or you know certain sectors or industries if you if you work you know like the, yeah it's certain jobs or industries will help you pay off your loan or if you work so many years it gets paid off and knowing the ins and outs and those and all like little the details of those are really important and it can be a lot for someone to be aware of so if you think your loan might be kind of um meet some of those requirements i think definitely think it's really good to to talk to an expert to confirm that because i can't imagine anything worse than you know in your head thinking that oh i just have to pay the minimum payment for this loan for 10 years and then it'll be gone or something like that and then oh you turns out you weren't eligible like that's you know would be really really awful so definitely recommend um trying to understand the details as much as possible yeah, definitely. Getting a good awareness of where you're at is, is always the best uh, first step there. Um, and so, again, as a teaser for our next uh, episode, talking about uh, strategies on how to pay down and selecting the one that makes the most sense to, to focus on first if you feel that you're in a position where you're a little over overburdened by debt. Um, you know, talking about interest rates uh, and, and the... Uh, tax deductibility of certain things in addition to like some of the programs you mentioned. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of tools and, and, and folks out there that could potentially help. Um, what I'd like to, to go back to that we had sort of chatted about was um, this uh, securities back lending. I, I think mm -hmm. that's kind of a cool thing that um, I've had some, some experience with some clients more recently and, and maybe not many people are, are aware of, of what that is. And uh, maybe not all of the mechanics, but just at a high level, like what, how are you thinking about that? Or what, what is it like? What is it to begin with? Like what, what yeah. Some of the basics. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially a, a loan that's collateral collateralized where um, the company that's issuing you the loan um, also basically has control over some assets, typically stocks or investments, you know, um, index funds, ETFs. And um, typically there's a certain a percentage of that kind of asset value you can borrow or kind of what they call it. They have this calculation and it's, I'm not going to try to um, recite it. It's a little bit 
less obvious, but it's called like kind of um, total equity or something. There's basically a minimum amount that you need to to kind of hold, and that kind of sets the limit of how much you can actually borrow at any given point. Um, and that's basically to prevent um, the, the situation in which you know the um, the value of your investments goes down so much that it it's, it becomes um, insufficient to cover the loan balance. Um, and so the reason why the interest rates can be quite low on these is because is because the um, the company you know owns not owns but they control the assets um, and have these conditions and it's relatively low risk because if the if the if the investments um, drop they make sure that they still have enough to pay the loan and stuff and so uh, so the rates can be very low you know um, something like like M1 right now with with their kind of membership uh, which is hundred dollars a year you get a two percent rate. Um, Interactive Brokers is pretty well known in terms of providing margin, and it's like one percent or something like that. Even quite, um, I think it depends on the amount that you have there. Um, places like Charles Schwab offer them called Pledge Asset Line. I think they, they can differ in terms of some allow you to use that money. I don't know. I don't know if all allow you to use that money for investments. Some might have kind of restrictions in the terms and conditions that are not supposed to use them for investments, but you can use them for things like, you know, uh, renovating your house or you can use them for, yeah, maybe paying off another debt, like paying off a, a higher interest loan, maybe a student loan or something like that. Um, or just paying any, any other expenses that you have. So, uh, yeah, I think if the interest rate is, is low enough, and again, it's, I think of it as um, you have to be kind of honest with yourself in that. Are you just taking this money out just to spend it on stuff, or it doesn't mean that you can actually you you know you whether you use that money directly to invest more, but it, or it means that um, it frees up more money that you can invest more. I think it's uh, something that people should should definitely strongly consider, um, especially if you have a. a you know, a time horizon that allows for that because you know you don't you never know what the stock market's going to do in the short term, but over the long term it does perform well and um, on average much higher than two and a half three percent. Um, so that's kind of I guess uh, a brief overview I think of what what do we call these margin loans or kind of asset backed loans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because um, it, at the time of this recording, the market has been down, uh, uh, t- taking a beating over the last week or so, um, and so it, with with taxes coming up, and uh, folks may had twenty twenty one was a fantastic year for markets broadly, and and a lot of people had done very well, and so uh, there might have been some some tax implications with that. So just in terms of talking about a use case for something. Like this, uh, it may not necessarily be advantageous to sell off or sell down part of your holdings at a at a reduced uh, pr- price. Sure. Um, and instead, maybe it makes more sense to take advantage of a low interest rate environment and uh, take some of this, uh, uh, pursue a, a margin loan or or a pledged asset line. Um, the, the risk there is depending on how concentrated you are, depending on what type of security you own. So if you own stock in a company that recently went public, um, for example, and you have a high concentration in it, th- that that particular uh, holding may not necessarily qualify for every single um, financial institution or broker. So worth uh, doing your research to figure out is is that is that broadly the case? Because I've seen some 
uh, be okay with it and others not be okay with it. So right. uh, you, you might be, sub, you know, having to get a higher interest rate because uh, not it's maybe it's more risky. Um, the other thing too, to keep in mind is, is if, if, if for, for whatever reason the market continues to decline and this particular position and you went up to the absolute maximum that you could right. withdraw, yep. they would they could potentially sell that, that uh, asset uh, on your behalf to satisfy yep. or reduce your loan amount. Um, so and typically these are interest only loans. And I, to my understanding, you could in theory, let's say you didn't go all the way up to this absolute maximum. You gave yourself some breathing room, understood this isn't like a long-term thing because it's a variable rate. We've got interest rates that are heading north potentially with inflation and the Fed mentioning that they're going to be uh, moving rates up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it could be advantageous to yeah consider, you know, looking at how long, how much it will actually cost to pay that down. Um, but I don't think you necessarily have to make those payments. I think it, 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 if you took a loan small enough, um, it's always good to pay the, the interest on there, but I think in theory you could it could continue to just accrue and, and yep. add to the principal balance. Yeah, and, typically they're interest only, and they can just keep yeah continuing. So it's, a, to it's a line of credit. Yeah, right. So, but like you made a good point that I, I think I wish I had mentioned was yeah, like the um the 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 entity that's offering you these loans they have a kind of a max amount that you could borrow based on what you're kind of investments are and that is a function of what the actual stock or etfs and like so the more stable it is you can usually borrow a higher ratio of that um but yeah i think you want to be very careful and not be anywhere close to that limit because um their recourse is when the stock goes down and it it goes up against like their kind of thresholds they will sell it for you um and that's to cover them but that's not what you want because that's that's you're buying it you're selling at like the bottom, not necessarily the bottom, but you're 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 selling after a, a drop, right? And so you're you're capturing the loss. And now when that stock recovers, you're not invested to capture that. And so everything that we talk about in terms of investing the long term, it requires you to stay in the stock market. But if you're, you know, your investments are being sold as the stock is dropping, essentially, you're not gonna come back and perform the same way. So you do have to be careful and um, you know. I would say be far away from that limit. Um, and you can, once you understand how they calculate what's called like total equity, you can create, you know, create those shares. Okay. What does a 50% stock drop? And, you know, so like, that's kind of what I've done. I was like, I think at the amount that I borrowed, I can withstand like a, something like right now. I mean, when I first took out, took it out, I think I, I put my limit. I was like, okay, l l I want to be fine at a 60% stock drop, which I don't know if that's ever necessarily happened, but that's 45, 50 has sort of happened before. And, but, you know, so now it's, I can probably go stand more um, just because it's, I haven't taken out more. Um, but I think the thing to mention too, is that this is something that's typically only available in a taxable like brokerage account, not something you can do on a 401k or an IRA. So, you know, may not be um, available to many listeners until they ha to have have funds in a in a taxable account. Um, and the reason for that is because they need the ability to 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 sell it and essentially to to cover the loan. And I guess yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's other restrictions why you can't do it on a four hundred one k. But you, you you can take out a loan on a four hundred one k, which you maybe can talk about in a different episode. But mm -hmm. it's not um, that's kind of a loan back to yourself and a lot of limitations there. I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so this this particular type of product is one that uh, I think more more timely, and one that uh, it, because interest rates are low at the moment, and the stock market has has declined a, a tad. Um, 
if things were reversed where maybe interest rates were a lot higher and uh, the market was doing well i mean it could make more sense to just go ahead and book that gain and, and take take the dollars out and, and do what you needed to do with it but um you know again it's to the point of over the long haul in the next 10 15 20 whatever years you know the idea that you're investing in whatever this particular Ideally, you've you've gone and listened to, to the passive investing uh, episode, and you're bought into that, and uh, you know it, 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 you're you're more insulated than you would if you were just had one particular position. Um, but uh, what you also said too, actually, is, is important is that the interest rate is never well, almost never fixed. It's adjustable. Um, you know, usually it's it's tied to some sort of benchmark, whether it's, they state it sometimes like, like I think Schwab, their interest rate is, and I think for it both like interactive brokers, it's maybe like the LIBOR rate, some sort of published rate plus X percent. So um, there's sort of um, a clear understanding of how they calculate the rate. Obviously um, you or may have the ability to, or, you know, can, uh, kind of forecast what future rates are going to be, but I think that is important to be aware of. Is as, as interest rates rise, like the 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 ROI or the the um the benefit, the, yeah, the benefit the, the may delta. start decreasing over time, and you need to be ready to potentially uh, take action and maybe pay it off or reduce your your loan amount if it's no longer um, makes sense. And so you have to be think about like, w- will I be able to do that? Can I come up with the cash? I mean, I don't think interest rates change super quickly like you can kind of see it coming and it happens slowly over time i think but obviously it totally depends on kind of what the loan amount is and how much cash free cash flow that you you're able to generate to be able to pay it off but um so mm-hmm. that's different than like a fixed rate mortgage where if you get a low rate you're you're guaranteed that rate for 30 years or whatever so yeah yeah so it's a variable rate it could move on you so i i typically advocate for a, a shorter term ter- time horizon on on this particular type of um or that could be a, a bridge to something a little bit more permanent than, that you could get into a fixed loan. Uh, as an example, um, there are HELOCs, home equity lines of credit, where you can have a fixed loan uh, or fixed interest rate on there rather than uh, subjected to the variable rate, uh, depending on the, the, the bank there. But it all returns back to the initial premise, which is what are you taking the money out for? What are the prevailing interest rates at the time? Um, you know, What are your thoughts long-term on the future of that investment relative to the uh, financing costs that you're paying on it. So, uh, if nothing else, hopefully this was a a good primer to understand or take a take a, a, a more serious look at your uh, the balance sheet, your personal balance sheet to see how uh, the debt side is is looking. And um, yeah, next time we'll, we will be chatting about different strategies uh, to pay that uh, debt down and, and prioritize which uh, might be more favorable. Um, before we we end, is there anything else? Uh, any other final thoughts that you had about uh, all the different elements we we chatted about today? I don't think so. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, and talking more about kind of helping people figure out how to how to handle how to handle if they have multiple loans and how to pay them down. Yep. Yep. Should be a good conversation. Um, if you had uh, any questions or thoughts or feedback, uh, please send it our way at uh, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. That's feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Uh, anyways, yeah, look forward to that access conversation and hope you all have a good rest of your day. See ya. We're a new podcast, and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. 
We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks and see you next time.